Okay, now we're going to get into the most fundamental elements or atoms of organic molecules. And so this is going to be a little bit different than the rest. Um, maybe not for everybody. I'm go I have a little bit of a characterization of how each of the main maybe five, six, seven atoms or elements sort of play into organic molecules. And so it's a little bit for entertainment and it's a little bit for instruction. Um, and then after this, we'll be getting into the, some of the fundamental molecules and then really spreading out into um, many of the really interesting phytochemical groups, subgroups, individual constituents, plant examples, etc. So the sort of fundamental elements or atoms of organic molecules are, of course, carbon, hydrogen, and sometimes oxygen, a little bit less often nitrogen, and less often than either of those, sulfur. Now, we could technically include phosphorus in there as well, but it's more often a sort of momentary um, sort of uh, atom or element involved in sort of reactions and not as much from at least an herbalist or herbal constituents and um, most organic molecules. And you've probably learned that just going back to a definition of what is an organic molecule, um, oftentimes that's called an organ uh, a carbon-based molecule. But hydrogen is just as much or more so there as an often um, sort of assumed and understood little atom on the periphery of everything, it is going to be um, bonded to carbons and oxygens, especially wherever those sort of valences are not filled. Um, but really the takeaway is, we, in my view, we see it sort of around the periphery of the molecule. And it also is able to make a lot of small interactions with other molecules, other substances, that sort of thing. Um, and hydrogen is super significant in biology by uh, this sort of multiplicity and ubiquitousness of all of these hydrogen interactions. Oxygen um, can, and nitrogen and sulfur can do some special tricks. Um, not entirely unique. There are many different sort of um, functions and traits and characteristics, uh, but those are going to be a little bit more standout than the carbon and the hydrogen in any organic molecule. Here's how I've characterized the first three, four, five um, most often kind of atoms or elements. Carbon is the backbone of organic molecules. Carbon forms four bonds. That is the oath of the organic chemist. Carbon plays well with others in its court of elements in the kingdom of organic molecules, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen, and its distinctive gesture, sulfur, and phosphorus, the fleeting alchemist of momentary change. Carbon is reactive enough to interact and bond, but not too reactive. Carbon is the innocuous chap who invites everyone along and keeps frenemies together at just the right distance and with generosity, necessity, and a stern glance. Carbon is structure. Carbon is the house carpenter and the carpenter singing, touch me while we're dancing. That is making many bonds there. 
carbon can be a bit of a bore compared to hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. Hydrogen. Hydrogen and oxygen, compared to carbon, more often go out on the exciting transactions from big to small. Hydrogen is prone to throw herself at potential connections, blithe little trapeze artist of an element, pointing her little toe jauntily out on a limb. She hardly seems to have her head on straight, a waif hussy, dizzily chasing or tossing electrons like a big circus medicine ball while swinging to and from one molecule to the next or leaping into another circus altogether. When we attempt electron and atom bookkeeping on paper, it is hydrogens that we shift first along the abacus, if we even count her. Singly, hydrogens may not seem so significant. Collectively, hydrogens and hydrogen bonds are a tour de force. Oxygen, the active constituent of air and reactive constituent of many biomolecules is equally gregarious, but a bit more persuasive. Often oxygen and hydrogen go together and make a deal. Oxygen is a friendly zone for interactions in molecules and its position can determine the relative polarity of a molecule, which is to say who it will best play and fraternize with among the other molecules and how easily. If you are lost, consider the old adages, like dissolves like, or like oil and water. These describe molecules of a feather going together with respect to how electronegativity or electron attraction is distributed in the molecule. Oxygen is not the sole determinant, but it's a molecule hotspot in determining this fundamental physical quality. One of the few we can predict by looking at a molecule's blueprint. A chemist who is also an herbalist calls oxygen a janus of an element because it is both a toxic gas and an element whose absence would take us down instantly. Oxygen is at the center of infinite, vast, ubiquitous, life-sustaining reactions and the slow, gradual reactions of liminal decay and plain old age. How did we arrive at oxygen's billowing abundance from breathless beginning? Early prokaryotes emerge from chemical assemblies and reactions, and the outcome of these reactions and organizations began to determine what the chemistry of life would be on Earth. Photosynthesis emerged as energy from the sun was captured in these reactions and early organisms. Eventually, cyanobacteria, blue-green algae to be approximate, which you might consider the first lungs of the Earth, breathed life as we know it into being and initiated the fundamental traits and patterns of life for all beings after, except for anaerobes and extremophiles, although I might suggest those are entirely relevant, perhaps were or are entirely fundamental stepping stones, and we just don't know enough about them yet. When we next mark the birth of oxygen and puff out the celebratory candles, it will be approximately the 2.4 billionth birthday. Oxygen is called elixir of life and death. In the book titled Oxygen, the Molecule that Made the World by Nick Lane. And early on it is tied with 
symbolism of blood and other fears. Though we might think to thank oxygen for the very existence of life, oxygen also cannot be sustained or produced in any sustainable or appreciable amounts without life, especially the plant kingdom and cyanobacteria. You may breathe a sigh of astonishment, oxygen playing the third most abundant position in elements of molecules that we will explore, has certainly been a determinant and it is queen still. While in what follows we are most interested in where oxygen occurs in a carbon molecule and its attaché and not so much interested in oxygen on its own in the world, the position of oxygen can be more significant than the sum of the various carbons and hydrogens that form its queendom. Now a pause for the physicists, the picky, and those who might otherwise conflate the above Big Bang pun out of context. Oxygen emerged way after the Big Bang. At the very least, insert a one billion year space holder between the Big Bang and the very first oxygen and several billions of years more before those first little organisms would begin to puff up the atmosphere with any appreciable amount of oxygen, let alone air, a mixture of gases, oxygen, nitrogen, and others. And now we have the provocative mistress nitrogen. Nitrogen, if oxygen is the queen without which we would not have a, the particular kingdom of carbon-based life forms, or it would take another shape. Nitrogen is the tricky and elusive mistress. When on the scene, nitrogen calls the shots. We will, will we be medicine, poison, or just another workaday biomolecule? Will we give life or take it away? And what other tricks are in our cloak? In a biomolecule, nitrogen and its particular position can determine all of that. And it's not predictable until we have seen its actual outcome. A strapping young chemist who is now a formidable medicinal organic chemist in inventions and medicinal patent law once declared to a room full of old stodgy battle-scarred legitimate chemists at the conference called heterocycles. Nitrogen is a harsh mistress, and they approved. She can determine what kind of inextricable cure or poison a constituent will be. Thrillingly, even if we've encountered one or a set quite like it, we don't know which it will be or to what degree until we try it out in real life. To learn more, you might skip ahead to alkaloids. Sulfur, the most memorably stinky when in a compound with other atoms, but elemental sulfur, that is sulfur on its own, is quite content with itself and has no smell. Combine it with oxygen and there is no mistaking its characteristic eggy oo factor when whiffed. Due to its puckish character, prankish scent in organic compounds, fiery nature and reactions, and ability to juggle bonds with up to six other atoms, sulfur may be seen as the jester. If you enjoy these characterizations to distinguish the elements and more importantly the traits of some of the type of constituents we will be interested in with respect to plants. 
Sulfur is rarer than the above, than carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, or nitrogen, but we do, it in, we do encounter it in some constituents of medicinal plants and foods, namely organosulfides and cruciferous yellow, sorry, cruciferous vegetables and alliums. For now, organosulfides is the blanket term to use to shut down your opponent. We will see more nuance and uh, nuance in terminology further on. Sulfur is in the soil, water, air, plants, bacteria, and many other low down creepy crawly aspects of the earth, including some anaerobic environments where extremophiles reign. Sulfur can form six bonds rather than cramming up the organic molecule. Uh, <laughs> rather cramming up an organic molecule. Drawn organic molecules containing sulfur look awkward, resembling beleaguered student attempts at molecules organic chemist professors everywhere cross out with force and irritation. Organic molecules accustomed to accommodating their usual chums, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, which only make each one, two, or four bonds, or five in the case of phosphorus, which earns its value in DNA, cry out, sulfur, what are you doing here? Sulfur easily turns gaseous in organic compounds, which are ready to let sulfur and its associates wander off with a poof, floating into our watery eyes and noses, or filling up our billowy gut until expelled with a pff, phew. There are also contributions from gut bacteria in that process. Sulfur is most interesting to the health conscious for its role in influencing the methylation of our DNA. That's a protective action, which is beyond the scope of this paragraph, but you may keep that phrase in mind to shut down plant doubters and the anti-cruciferous. Phosphorus is ubiquitous to life and seldom observed in a static state. Phosphorus is a baton passer and a battery charger. Phosphorus does significant energy exchanges in the road race of biochemistry. In medicinal plant learning, we seldom talk about it, though in, though in biochemistry you would find yourself quite taken by its significance and recurrence in fundamental reactions that occur constantly, such as in the molecule ATP, adenosine triphosphate and all its actions and functions. The, that's the default energy packet of biochemistry, biology, or the botany learner. Since I will not say more about phosphorus further on unless it's an outlier instance, let's leave it at that. You now have earned your junior merit badge for the introduction of each of the major elements of phytochemicals. But what you might be asking about minerals. We may see a few minerals peppered in, calcium, magnesium, potassium, iron, zinc, manganese, copper, and selenium are among the minerals that have relevance to interesting medicinal plants. And of course, these certainly have relevance in nutrition. In the way we will look at phyto phytochemical groups and traits, these are more unique. Um, they're more unique and outlier features than unifying themes. So we will treat each with an honorable mention and meaning if and when it comes up.